So, 2 Corinthians. One of the passages I really, really enjoy. Uh, there's a few key parts. I'm obviously not going to go in depth into those 10 verses that we've covered. Um, but there's a few key elements there which I think are really, really significant for us. And the first one, when we look at the beginning of 2 Corinthians 5, is the initial statements that Paul makes. Since then, we know what it is to fear Lord. We the fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. And then on to verse 14, you know, for Christ's love compels us. And I want to throw that out to you. Paul here in this passage is talking to people that know what it means to fear the Lord. What does that mean, obviously? Now, we know that there's various types of fear. We can think of our own sort of experience of, uh, you know, I guess an anxiety-inducing fear, which is sort of quite debilitating and brings a whole lot of physiological responses in us. Um, but then there's other aspects of fear. Um, you know, maybe if we were to come into the presence of some, maybe a childhood superhero, you know, there'd be, you know, probably a healthy amount of trepidation, but there'd also be this incredible reverence, this incredible sort of um, awe that might exist. And obviously that is what Paul's talking about here in the Corinthians church. We know what it is to have a healthy, reverent awe of the Lord. We know what it means to be able to have that experience and have that connection and to exist in this relationship with who God is and to reflect on, you know, this is the God who desires to have a personal, intimate relationship with us. This is the God who meets us in our deepest and darkest and, you know, every single need that we have. Doesn't promise to resolve and, you know, alleviate the challenges we have. I can promise you that Mason's probably spent countless hours praying to be alleviated from the illness that he's got now. For whatever reason, you know, he's still got it. So, but I can promise you that God is there present with him in the midst of this. But it's also the God that created the entire universe. Created time itself. And it's one of the hardest things for us in our human brains to comprehend, that God simultaneously is looking at the origin of the world and the end of the world and everything in between <laughs> all at once because he exists outside of time. When we're confronted with you know, an entity, a person like that, I think our only healthy response is a reverent awe and fear. And what impact does that have on us? It motivates us. Because we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade others. This is the first context, I guess, that sort of Paul gives in this passage around what it is that, um, what it is that you know, is part of our identity, is part of this task that we've been given, is part of who we are as a Christian. Is this call to be entwined with God, united, connected with him, and the outflowing of that is this persuasion, is this engaging in conversation with others. Now, if we jump down to, to verse 14, um, we actually see that it's a compulsion that comes because of the understanding of Christ's love. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we've got this dynamic that exists in this relationship with God. 
and the outworking that Paul's talking about here for the Corinthian church that I think, you know, if you've, if you've spent time reading through all the epistles and, and the journey of Acts, we, we can clearly see that Paul lived by this. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just sort of, you know, fleeting words he's throwing about. He lived as a man who was committed to be persuading others and compelled to be sharing the love, the, the death of Christ Jesus and the life that he lives that he should no longer be living for himself, but living for Christ who died for him. Now, I read this and I'll be honest, like I'm massively challenged. You know, I'm massively challenged. Um, again, particularly in the, in the transition that we've made. Um, in some ways, it's a little bit easier to be a Christian when you're a professional paid Christian. <laughs> I might sound a little bit crass and apologies if, if that sounds offensive to people, but, but when you're in ministry, you know, your entire life is consumed by absorbing and you know, engaging in Christian community ministry. And it's, and it's to be honest, it's, it's a lot easier to be able to be able to share and persuade and engage in those conversations. Not everyone wants to hear, can testify. The majority of university where I was based at uh, Clayton campus does not want to hear, unfortunately. Um, you know, didn't find many students at all that wanted to engage in a life in Jesus. But for the, for the majority of people here, walking this journey of Christ's impact on our life and how powerfully and how strongly and how deeply he engages in our hearts and what the outflowing of that is for us. Now, along with that, we're actually given an identity. Um, you know, and there's a thing I loved about that, um, that song that uh, Daniel played is, you know, we're no longer a slave to fear, but we're a child of God. That is an identity, to be a child of God. That is something which is steadfast, which is given to us. You know, we are not deserving of it. We haven't done anything to earn it, but it is given to us. Paul here gives us another identity, gives us the identity of ambassador. Now, I'm going to assume that People know in general, you know, what the political version of an ambassador is. Um, I don't, obviously, I don't know most of the people here and I look forward to obviously getting to know people better and getting to know people's stories. But, but if you've done travelling, particularly if you've done travelling overseas, and, and I haven't had this experience myself, but I've heard about it through many people, that you might go to a place such as, say, Bali um, or Thailand, where there's quite a strong holiday destination and, you know, Quite a number of different sporting codes will have their end-of-year trip there. And I have heard that Australians can sometimes have a bit of a reputation. Not always the most positive reputation, if I can share. And when I think about this concept of ambassador, every single one of those groups that's gone over to Bali for their you know, social party weekend has been an ambassador of Australia. Because they are a foreigner going into the homeland of people, you know, and that's what an ambassador is. It is someone who's not from that location representing the environment they're from. Um, now, like I said, I haven't experienced it and I'm you know, interested in hearing people's stories afterwards, but uh, yeah, I've certainly heard stories where people have gone, mate, Aussies are just X, Y and Z, you know, some very unsavory and helpful things. As followers of Jesus as those who know what it is to have a reverent fear of the Lord, as those who are compelled by the love of Christ, we are also given the identity of an ambassador. 
we actually have this responsibility on our shoulders to be taking what is the supernatural, what is the eternal, you know, what is the, the true relationship with God and bringing it into an environment that doesn't know him. We only have to look at the transition across the decades about the cultural shifts which have occurred. And what am I? I'm, I'm mid-40s. So I've only seen, you know, sort of three real decades of cultural shifts that have occurred. And, and over sort of those three decades, I can see a really, really significant change that's occurring with regards to the morality of society. Um, it's some really quite significant things that are going afoot and are, are moving around us and continuing to move. As followers of Jesus, as those who have a deep abiding relationship with him, we're from a different place. We're the children of God. We're heirs of the eternal kingdom. But here we are living in this world that is continually going through a state of decay, erosion and, and compromise. As ambassadors, we are committed with the message of reconciliation. Because God reconciled us to himself through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. We have been committed with that same journey, of same message of reconciliation. As though God was imploring, sorry, as though God was making his appeal through us. Yeah. I'm confident that this is probably not new information. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating a lot of people here that are listening and, and those online that are listening, you know, are familiar with these sort of concepts. What I want to delve into is a bit about how we go about that message of reconciliation. And this is one of the things that's key to my own heart. Um, as I mentioned before, The Navigators is an organisation focused very much on discipleship. The, the mission statement of The Navs is to advance the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom into the nations through spiritual generations of disciple makers living and discipling among the lost. You know, standard sort of phrase that, that means a lot of different things. It has a whole lot of <laughs> jargon in it, to be honest. Seeing people come to a living, revitalised, new relationship with Jesus is one of the most amazing experiences in life. And I was there for the birth of all three of my kids. Sorry, Samantha. Um, it was intense and amazing. But seeing new spiritual birth occur is one of the most incredible things to see Jesus grab someone's heart and help them go from death to life. If people here this morning are not familiar with what I'm talking about there, please come and have a chat with me afterwards. Please come and ask me questions because uh, I'm keen as to explore this with you. Um, and so that brings us to the second part of the reading, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Now, I, I don't know how much people have explored this passage, um, obviously I've spent a lot of time studying it. And when we break it down, sort of in the original uh, Greek that it's written, there's basically four main verbs that exist in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know, there's four concepts that Jesus identifies here as a commission that he gives to the lads that were, and there's a couple of ladies there too actually, um, as his final words as he ascends to heaven. When we look at the, the breakdown and the emphasis of the particular passage there, there's one key, I guess, verb which, which takes prominence. And that key verb is the make disciples. 
So when Jesus is ascending to heaven, his main task that he leaves his disciples to do is make disciples. Now, how you do that is by going, baptizing, and teaching. And so those three sort of supportive verbs are there to give emphasis to the key verb. One of the biggest frustrations I have ever had in my entire life in reading through the Bible is that there is no discipleship program that's listed out. You know, we've got the Gospels and we read the Gospels and I'm like, excellent. All right, so what we do is we've got to find some fishermen. All right, they're out there. We've got to go find a tax collector. A little bit harder. Uh, They're not as common as they were before. Um, Got to go find some historians and a few other people. And then what do we do with that? Um, okay, well, first off, got to go do some miraculous stuff. A little bit difficult. Don't have miraculous gifts. Uh, got to go heal some people, raise some dead. Got to go speak some prophecies. Got to go shake up the religious establishment. All the while having this group of people that I've just recruited from around the place following along with me. You know? And I'm just like, there's a whole lot of really hard things that uh, <laughs> Jesus is talking about. Is that the discipleship program? I don't think it is. (laughs) I don't think Jesus is calling us to go and raise the dead and heal the sick. Now, people have all sorts of gifts, and I'm not going to get into that sort of conversation now, but I don't think that that's the emphasis. And so I've scared the Bible many times to try and find what is the 12-step program, all beginning with the word C, that can follow me through, you know, and produces a disciple at the end of it. And I can tell you I haven't found one yet. If you have found one, please let me know. Uh, because I think Jesus is quite intentional at leaving things quite broad and quite nondescript. The example he gave was living his life with this group of guys and girls that followed him around. Now, can I just get a show of hands? Who here has heard of the musician called Keith Green? Bit of a classic, yes. I was going to say, I was going to take a punt that we had a few of us here. Top quality musician, amazing guy. His passion for Jesus is just phenomenal. He's got quite a famous song that he's sung called, um, oh, I can't remember what the song's called actually, but the verse of it is, Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if you stay. And it was a bit of Keith Green looking at this passage of Matthew 18 and 20. And his interpretation of it is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are commanded directly to leave where you are and go. Go over to some new place. This Token, go reach Africa with the gospel. That was the passion of what, Je- what Keith Green said. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's what Jesus has meant here when he said go. I think what Jesus is meaning is for us in our relationship with him, because his love compels us, because he's given us the identity of an ambassador, to be intentionally going about our lives. Now, some people, myself, were called to move to a different, different um, community. You know, I left where Kel and I were living up in Albury-Wodonga, moved to Canada for a while, and then moved to Monash University. And it was. It was very much a go. But I think the bigger application that Jesus has here in Matthew 28 is for every single one of us in the environment that we are in to be willing to go and connect with people around us because that's what an ambassador does. What depth of love do we have for the people we rub shoulders with? Now, it might be family. I don't know, you might see family regularly. You might be in the workforce. You might be retired and in different parts of the community. You might be part of a walking group that catches up together and rubs shoulders with those who 
you know, don't necessarily come from a faith-based background. When we say go, when Jesus says go here, you know, I've heard it sort of paraphrased as the phrase, as you go. Now, I can't say whether that's a better translation from the, from the Greek or the Hebrew or not, so talk to Mason about that one. But that concept of as we are going about our life, as we're doing our shopping, as we're going out for dinner, as we're connecting with neighbours, as we're connecting with work colleagues, as we're working with clients or with subcontractors or with you know, people that are coming to the store, as we are going about our day-to-day life, make disciples because Christ loves compels us and we are an ambassador for Jesus. Now, the other aspect of making disciples, so that's the first, first point, making disciples, is being intentional about our going, having it in our mindset, choosing to do this. Baptise, it's the second one. Now, I do think, you know, Jesus literally is talking about baptism here, uh, you know, the, the water immersion experience of baptism. But if we, if we actually break that down, the key emphasis that comes into baptism is this public identifying with Christ. So in our call to make disciples, because Christ loves compelling us, because we know God, because we have the reverent fear of him and we are an ambassador of his, as we go about making disciples, in our going, we want to help people come to that place of public declaration of faith. We could spend all the time in the world just being a really, really good friend to someone and trusting that our life is going to be example enough to witness, you know, to Jesus. I can tell you from the times I've been at Monash, I engaged with a lot of different communities of students. Uh, and, I mean, it was a bit weird because I was the old guy. Um, but they got to see that I was different. They're like, wow, this guy's like having us over for dinner. And, you know, his family's really nice. And he's going about serving. And, you know, he's... he's taking us all in his car and driving us to things and back. And they're just like, wow, Andy's just a really, really nice guy. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't know me well enough. Chat with my wife. <laughs> You'll see all of the failings that exist. I'm not actually a nice guy. I'm compelled by the love of Christ. And I want you to know Jesus. And they're like, yeah, but Andy's, Andy's just this really nice guy. And it wasn't until I had some other Christians join one of the groups I was part of that they started going, Oh, hang on a sec, we've got this old guy Andy over here who's a really nice guy, but then there's like these other four people. They also say the same things that Andy's saying. From, I mean, some of them are from America even. But they have this common thing that exists between them. They're really interested in seeking and serving people. And all of a sudden, the impact of the community comes into play and we have the opportunity to share more boldly about making a profession of faith, about coming to an active living relationship with Jesus. And so I guess I've shared a few different points there, but I want to emphasize for each of you, in your intentional going to reaching people, really praying earnestly and focusing on what it is that we say, because we want people to come to that living relationship with Jesus, being willing to publicly identify. Now, you know, like I said, I'm not going to get into the actual form of baptism, but that, that specific saying sinner's prayer, saying, you know, I am someone who has a reverent fear of God. And then the final aspect of making discipleship is what's typically called discipleship, you know, which we've grown up in, in, uh, in, in the church, is the ongoing teaching, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. 
Now, the way we see Jesus do this is living life with them. You know, yes, he had a bunch of times where he said some cool stuff, you know, went up on the side of a mountain, gave us a two or three chapter sermon from, uh, from the book of Matthew, <laughs> went out in a boat, <laughs> projected, his, uh, projected his voice to a whole lot of people and said a bunch of cool stuff after doing some cool miracles with loaves and fishes, you know, and then wandered across the lake and, and did some cool miracles about healing a dude from, uh, you know, his possession of demons. What Jesus did was he had these people that had committed their lives to following him coming with him as he went about his day-in, day-out life. He was intentional as he went to make connections and relationships with people. And he helped them see the truth of who God was, that there was a God that loved them. Now, we know that they didn't fully understand the whole death and resurrection bit yet, but there was a sovereign creator of the world that was bringing in a new creation, that was bringing in a new life. And he went about reinforcing this time and time again for the three years he was in active ministry. Helping these disciples come to the place that they realised when he ascended that this entire new ministry or this entire new kingdom that they had perceived their entire lives was different. It was a kingdom of people's hearts. And being ambassadors permeating into the community to see an organic spread of the gospel, the Holy Spirit jumping from one person to another person to another person to another person, going through day by day, living out faithfully through actions and through words, their own faith in Christ. And so I just want to encourage each of us today. Is Christ's love compelling you? I'll be honest, I'm confronted when I say that to myself. I think back of just all the different things that I've done over these last month and go, wow, how many of my conversations were truly compelled by Christ? Have we fully embraced this identity that we're an ambassador? Are we willing to take on the the mantle that here we are representing an eternal kingdom that is so foreign to this world around us, into the hearts and lives of those people that we that we are rubbing shoulders with? Are we willing to take up the call to make disciples through our day-to-day lives, helping people come to that position of declaration, commitment of faith to Christ, and be willing to journey with them on there? It's not about just bringing them to church. You know what I'm saying? It's It's not a bad thing to bring them to church, but it's not about just getting someone to come to faith and then you bring them here and Mason does the rest. Because I can tell you, he doesn't have time. And he's already said himself, his head's like a bag of cats. So he's a great guy, but he doesn't want the responsibility of doing all the teaching for these people that you can reach. Bring them into the Christian community. Help them connect with others. But each of us has our own testimony, has our own understanding of the Bible to be able to teach and journey along. And it becomes this arm in arm, walking alongside those around us. Walking, journeying together, going, yep, Look, oh yeah, look, I understand you've got some real stresses about money right now. Let's just, let's just have a quick look in the Bible. There's a few things that the Bible says about money. It's a bit counter to what the world says, to be honest. It's a bit different to what the, what the world says about money. Let's just have a look at what Jesus says about money. Pretty confronting, pretty challenging. He calls us to be generous with it. Whoa, you know, calls us to give a whole lot of it away. Whoa, that's sort of opposite to what's going on. Let's talk about forgiveness. Yeah, I understand you've had this massive fight with family member, with relation, with 
neighbour, what does Jesus call for forgiveness? What does Jesus teach us in the Bible about forgiveness? You know, this is the journey of making disciples. This is the journey of helping people come to a living, growing, established faith in Jesus. So I want to encourage each of you to have a think about this. As I mentioned, please be feeling very, very welcome and invited to come and chat with me about things afterwards. Um, chat with Mason when he's back on his feet. Chat with other people in the church. You know, uh, We're all here to be able to fellowship with each other. If things that I have shared today sound completely foreign to you and you just don't even quite comprehend this idea of who the Lord is and you know, what this Jesus character is and what it even means for Christ's love to compel us. If you don't fully quite grasp what I'm talking about when I say Christ's love, please come and have a chat with me. Have a chat with Mason. Have a chat with anyone else here. Okay, we really want to be able to help you come to understand the living God that offers us new life. Will you join me in prayer? Mighty Saviour, we do thank you so much. Thank you for your love for us. Lord Jesus, it was through your death and resurrection that our relationship with you, the Father, has been opened and been established. Lord, it's through your death and resurrection that we receive new identities. Identities as children of God. Identities as servants of God. Brothers. And Lord, as we looked at this morning, identity of an ambassador. Taking what we know from the eternal, taking the truth of who you are, Heavenly Father, the reconciliation that you have made with the world through your son's death and resurrection, taking that message into the world and seeking it to be established in people's hearts and minds. Lord, you have called us to do that through the journey of discipleship. You have called us to make disciples, which really is that ministry of reconciliation. As we go about our day-to-day lives, to connect with those around us, intentionally building relationships and intentionally connecting with, uh, with these people, to see them come to a profession of faith in you, to see them make a decision of following you and to see them grow in maturity and steadfastness, that they in turn will also be used as ambassadors to see your kingdom established here on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, inspire us and guide us and give us the words as we move forwards into this week. In your name we pray all these things. Amen.